0: He's here to talk about gang investigations, gang databases, and what's in the news and how insane it really could be. He's been on the Law Enforcement Today show twice before. He's a retired police chief from the Chicagoland suburbs of Riverside, Illinois. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. download our free app the law enforcement today's show was brought to you by 4patriots.com that's number 4patriots.com they offer the world's best survival food, the Patriot Power Generator 2000X and more. And right now, you can go to 4patriots.com and use code L-E-T to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store. You'll also get their famous guarantee for an entire year after your order. Plus, free shipping on orders over $97 and a portion of every sale is donated to charities who support our veterans and our families. Just go to 4patriots.com That's a number 4patriots.com Use code L-E-T to get 10% off. Contact us from the Chicago suburbs. We have retired police chief Tom Weitzel on the phone. Tom retired from the Riverside, Illinois Police Department. He spent his entire career there. The best way to get a hold of him is on Twitter at Chief Weitzel. That's W-E-I-T-Z-E-L. And here's the thing. Even after all these years of policing, he is an interim police chief and fills in to help communities in need because he just can't stay out of the game. Tom, Had you in the show before. It's a pleasure to have you back. Thank you so much for having me back. I really appreciate it. One of the things that you can talk about, and we've discussed this many times, and and I don't, I want to clarify something. When I say, if I say something negative about, about police, it's usually about the command staff. It's usually about the brass. And it's almost never about the police officers themselves. Tom is one of the rare exceptions where I've had him on many times, and Tom can tell you, uh, I've had police chiefs call me and like, I want to come on your show, and I thought I'm like, no, nah, it ain't happening because you just don't, you don't pass the sniff test. But Tom does. Thank you, thank you. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I know you can't comment, so uh, no comment needed. But thank you for your service and thanks for being a guest on the show again today. We're talking about criminal gangs. Uh, that's something that's a huge problem in the Chicago area and. It wasn't a big problem in Baltimore when I policed. We had drug gangs, drug street gangs that were a huge problem. We had Jamaican drug gangs, which are a huge problem. They usually call themselves posses, and they're very violent, and they feuded between the D.C. posses and the Baltimore posses. But until recently, the organized gangs like Crips and Bloods and all that, they were never an issue, but now they're a huge issue. How big is the gang problem not just in Chicago, but the Chicago suburbs as well.
1: It's actually enormous, and in fact, it's really branched out into the Chicago suburbs west of the city of Chicago pretty far. So um, we, you, you're seeing violent gang activity farther and farther west of the city of Chicago um, as far as 30, 40, 50 miles out committing violent crimes. And in most cases, they flee east back to the city. They commit the crime uh, going out west from the city of Chicago, and then they're using cars and they flee back east on either of the two major expressways. That is really the pattern of the gangs moving from the city to the suburbs.
0: One of the things that I used to tell people all the time is they're like, I don't understand. I moved out into the county. I moved into a nice area. Nothing bad supposed to happen here. And I say all the time, by the way, where do criminals go? They target people's money. When they steal cars, where do they go? Neighborhoods that have the nicer cars. Uh, no area is totally immune from violent crime, are they?
1: No. and In fact, some of the most wealthiest suburbs west of the city of Chicago have either gang members living in their communities or operating. And one of the reasons is some of the parents, they want to do good for their kids, some of them. And I used to see this in Riverside at our high school. They would move to get in the school district for the high school to give their kids an opportunity, either educational or maybe some of them were very talented in sports and they, but the kids bring their gang affiliations with them. They bring their friends with them. So they would move or rent a home or an apartment and, the mother was doing the right thing, but the kid brought, he still had gang ties, and they would come out to visit him all the time, either at his home or hang out at the school at the dismissal. We would have gang problems just based on that scenario.
0: And so people would think a, a, a town by the name of Riverside sounds like a peaceful, nice place, really where you'd want to be, but they're not immune from violent crime, and you're certainly not immune from violent crime as a result of gangs, criminal gangs. When I talk about criminal gangs, it's not just a bunch of kids that gather together and say we're the East Hoboken New Jersey crew and we're not going to be best with anybody. They have a structure. They're about making money and they're about using crime to make money. Am I missing anything from this?
1: No, you're spot on. there. The crimes they were committing in the suburbs were all Due to fueling their drug activity or, uh, you know, um, I mean, they would, they would come and they'd rip off ATMs, um, and they would wait for the ATM to be filled and they would have, have an armed robbery with the sole purpose of getting that cash to fuel their drug activities, usually back in the city of Chicago, but sometimes they were opening, um, open air markets in certain suburbs that were within close proximity of the city of Chicago for sure. And, you know, these were gang members that were 14, 15, some of them 16. Some of them couldn't even legally drive yet. Right. And they would come out. And then the older gang members would purposely send juveniles, at least in Cook County, Illinois, to do some of the nasty work because the juveniles aren't going to prison. They're not going They're not even being held in jail unless you have a certain amount of points in this ridiculous point system that we have in Cook County. So that was a decision that was purposely made by gang leaders.
0: And that happens all the time. That's been going on since I was, since both of us were rookies with using the juveniles to commit crimes. One of the things that I've seen a lot of, and I don't want to say epidemic because I think it's a term is used too often, but it's been going on since at least the '80s when I became aware is gangs using stolen vehicles, sometimes the the rental trucks, and then smashing into gun stores after hours and stealing a bunch of guns. And they use that as street currency, either, hey, you can rent a gun to, to commit a crime or use it for their own criminal actions or sell that. Uh, that That's one of the things that happens all the time, and most people turn a blind eye to it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They're in the metro Chicago area here, they're carjacking individuals the gang members just to use that car for two to three days to commit more crimes and then they dump the car and they carjack it again they don't they usually don't hold that car for more than like 72 hours because they know it's reported stolen in a carjacking but they come they commit the carjacking in the city the gang members they come west they use that car for two to three days to commit other violent street crimes or sell narcotics and then they dump that vehicle and they carjack another one
0: This is very specific to Chicago, but it doesn't happen just in Chicago area. It happens on the West Coast. It happens on the East Coast. It's happening almost every major city, unless I'm missing something.
1: No, there's a pattern to it. You're absolutely right. It's happening all over. It's it's a national issue, and uh, there really doesn't seem to be an end to it right now. So it's 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 occurring, you know, because you know we would recommend as law enforcement professionals, we don't. We're not recommending you're going to carjack to fight somebody because you know what you're going to be dead. Right. When the, the carjacking means they're they're taking your your vehicle at force and they're not playing around. So you know they'll shoot you in a heartbeat and they'll shoot you in California as much as they will Florida or Illinois here.
0: And it's something that all of us need to be aware of. When we returned our conversation with Tom Weitzel, we're going to talk about from an administrative point of view as a police chief. The nightmares these criminal gangs bring to their communities, and how they go about tackling it using task force, other investigative resources, and some would say the insanity of recent decisions—referring to databases about gangs. This is the Law Enforcement A Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. National security experts are warning our aging power grid is more vulnerable than ever. Imagine a blackout lasting not days, but weeks or months. Your life would be frozen in time, right at the moment the power fails. Lights all over the country go out, throwing people into total darkness. That's why having your own solar power is more important than ever. With the new Patriot Power Generator 2000X, you get a solar generator that doesn't install into your house because it's portable. You can take it with you, even use it inside, but it's powerful enough for your phones, medical devices, or even your fridge. And right now, you can go to 4Patriots.com and use code LET to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in a store, including the Patriot Power Generator. You'll also get their famous guarantee for an entire year after your order. Plus, free shipping on orders over $97, and a portion of every sale is donated to charities who support our veterans and their families. Just go to 4patriots.com. That's number 4patriots.com, and use code L-E-T to get 10% off. That's 4patriots.com. Use code L-E-T to get yours today. It's the Law Enforcement Today Show, return a conversation with Tom Weitzel. He is a retired police chief from the Chicagoland area, suburbs of Chicago, area called Riverside, Illinois. He spent his entire career there. And by the way, he's been on the show twice. You can check out the Law Enforcement Today podcast. There's many different episodes there. They are all free. And you can hear Tom talking about when he was shot with a shotgun as a rookie police officer and how a vest he bought saved his life. You can hear about policing during the anti-police movement, all these other things. Uh, Great conversation, so be sure to check it out. Just search for Law Enforcement Today Podcast where podcasts are served. Tom, I appreciate you coming back on because one of the things that I want to talk about is, is gangs, and in particular... Without getting political, because you know I don't do a political show, the, the news media and politicians saying that gang databases, which is an investigative tool used by law enforcement agencies, to, are somehow discriminatory and racist, so they want to get rid of them. And before we do that, and I'm getting on my, my soapbox here, every group of immigrants in the United States has had gang activity. I'm of Irish descent. We had Irish gangs in in the New York, New Jersey area. We had Jewish gangs. We've had Italian gangs. We've had organized crime of every group, every skin color, you name it. And many of them started as good fraternal organizations that were going to protect, help their community, help find jobs, all those things, and then got into the criminal element. So having said that, when they label gang databases as somehow racist and we got to get rid of them because of that it it really gets under my skin and I know you probably can't comment too much about that but does that is there anything I'm missing from the equation about all races all ethnic groups having gang activity
1: no you're, you're spot on again and I would say about those gang databases that it's Chicago has a very robust one and so does the Cook County Sheriff's Police and There are movements to eliminate the gang database, but what happened recently is they reformed it. But I can tell you we can't operate without it. I'll I'll just give you a really clear example of that. A lot of the gangs in the city of Chicago were coming to the suburbs because they thought the police were less educated. We didn't know the players. We didn't know, and they were right. And the only way that we did that is we had to partner with Chicago, and we did some partnerships with uh, U.S. Marshals, FBI, and we had to use their databases to have our gang officers become familiar with who the players are, and also when we were hunting somebody down that was outside of our jurisdiction for a crime that happened, we needed the U.S. Marshals' help, and their database of fugitives is expansive and is on target, but it's just a database with most of the stuff is self-admitted, and the other stuff other stuff had to fill out paperwork. It's not like there wasn't a trail. Each officer had to justify where they accessed the system them, what they're looking for and how they're going to use it so it was real, well regulated
0: but the problem came in because someone from the outside said hey we can make an issue out of this
1: yeah they, they want to make an issue out of it because they say that it was uh it wasn't um helping law enforcement and we were abusing it and people were being put into the system that weren't gang members or got out of the gang and then the police didn't take that individual out of the database, which I found to be completely false. It's not true. Um, They they would purge the database when the um, individual wouldn't either notify us, which was really rare or more common, a court order would come in from a judge that this individual, uh, you know, is no longer affiliated because they would get an attorney and go to the uh, circuit court and we would get a court order to say remove them from the system and we did so in fact we had a time stamp here in illinois like for three years if, if your name didn't get accessed, that we automatically take it out of the system
0: so there's there's little steps that that are in place that prevent abuse of these this database uh, and people are automatically removed but there's no updates. What are some of the information that goes in there? I know what these are, but a lot of people don't know. They just say, uh, oh, it's a young male and he's Hispanic, so therefore he goes in a database as a gang member.
1: Now, what goes in those uh, databases, the individuals name their alias... Their mugshots are in there. Their last known addresses are in there. Sometimes they'll have their affiliates of who they were arrested with, which is really important because if they were arrested in a mob action and they were arrested with five people, we can link those other gang members to this individual. So co-arrests were listed, were listed charges, what type of vehicle they were driving. Um, what the crimes were, and one really, really important piece is the tattoos. Yeah, I, I we would identify that. a lot of individuals from tattoos.
0: And, and tattoos, there's a whole hierarchy when it comes to gangs and tattoos. And uh, some people use the term branding. In the human trafficking, especially the sex trafficking, that is a common thing where, where the the prostitutes, for lack of better words, are branded by their pimps. And if someone becomes a member of XYZ gang, quite often there are certain tattoos they have to get. And certain ones, they mean certain types of crimes. Am I wrong?
1: No, you're absolutely right. They affiliated, the Latin Kings would be a definite one if you saw the crown on somebody's neck or shoulder. And the teardrops uh, under the eyes, were a distinctive mark for usually somebody that had either killed somebody in the past or had you know fired a weapon. There's a, there's absolute um, hierarchy, as you said, on what appears on the body tattoos of gang members. You know
0: who's really taking the whole tattoo thing to a different level, and a lot of this is modeled after them are the the Russian organized crime groups and the American motorcycle gangs, the 1% outlaw criminal gangs with their tattoos. There's prison tattoos. A a popular one, for example, is a spider web on the elbow. And please, I'm going to paraphrase, but for every ring in a spider web, that would either mean how many 10 years they did, 20 years, the teardrops, how many people they've killed, so young people oftentimes will mirror that and say, "Oh, those are really cool. I like that swagger. I want that attitude, and they get those tattoos." And then they come in contact with the real deal, and sometimes the 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 consequences are just downright ugly.
1: Yeah, for sure that that um, you could be killed over that. You and me know that, and your that's your listeners. Hopefully, understand that 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 mimicking of real gang members tattoos is a serious issue because they take it seriously, especially for territorial issues. Absolutely.
0: And that goes into the whole colors thing, which we'll talk about in a moment. There's so many levels and and layers of this onion to peel when we're talking about violent criminal gangs, whether it be street drug gangs, whether it be Bloods, Crips, Hells Angels, Outlaws, Mongols, Russian, uh, Mafia, you name it. We're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about more of the database gang tools and task force from administrative level with our guest Tom White, Weitzel, retired police chief from Riverside, Illinois this is the Law Enforcement Day Show, don't go anywhere we will be right back
1: the Harmony with Food radio show. I am your host, Meg Marie O'Rourke. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I am a nutritionist for longer than I'd like to admit on the radio. Join my guests and I as we discuss how to live in harmony with food from gut health issues, food sensitivities, food intolerances, and the comorbidities of obesity. Being your own healthcare advocate is achievable and so is living in harmony with food. For the latest nutrition information blogs, check out my website, harmonywithfood.com. There's. harmonywithfood.com
0: only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. Return conversation with Tom Weitzel on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Tom is a retired chief of police. He did his entire career with the Riverside, Illinois Police Department. From rookie all the way up to police chief. He is an interim police chief filling in for agencies that that have a need. And you can find him easily on Twitter. Look for at Chief Weitzel. That's W-E-I-T-Z-E-L. By the way, Tom's been on the show twice before. And as I said, the law enforcement podcast, you can listen to it there for free. Whoever podcasts are served, you'll find Tom in there as well. I want to go into the police chief's point of view. And I, I, I get it. As, as much as I like to poke fun, and sometimes it's it's serious, Tom, there's a different way of looking at things and a different requirement from a police chief point of view than there is the street sergeant or a street cop. When you were a rookie cop and a street cop, and it got promoted, things changed. And people say, well, they're not like they used to be. Well, your job's different, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is different in many respects. A lot of it is just administrative paperwork and then justifying and accounting for things. And when it comes to this task force, Wedge, when I was put as chairperson, a Wedge stood for West Suburban Enhanced Gang and Drug Enforcement, We developed it initially with 11 suburban police departments that were directly within five miles of the city of Chicago. But we had to go to our village and our elected officials and our city managers and sell it because they didn't want us to get involved in this. But gang activity was coming into the municipalities at an alarming pace. And we didn't, like I said earlier, we didn't know the players. And and they thought that they could come in and just take over the suburbs because we were uneducated and not familiar with it. So we had to train with Chicago. We had to get their databases we talked about. But I had to go in front of my village board and say, the residents deserve this. And yes, we're going to be involved in this task force. And yes, I'm going to lead it. And you know, you're talking about a, um upper-middle-class community, Riverside, with 9,000 residents that borders the city of Chicago. Initially, they didn't want that. And I th- every other chief had to go and say, y- you know, you have to wake up. You have to see what's going on in our communities, and we need to address it.
0: And a lot of times what happens is these, these politicians, and I hold them with the, the, the highest form of of contempt, won't do anything because they don't like the way it looks, number one. But number two, they won't do anything until they're forced into it, until something tragic happens, until there's a, a murder or a crime of violence that was committed by a gang member, and it, they had no choice.
1: And that you're—that's exactly how Wedge got Riverside got into Wedge. We had a street shooting, and we—if we we had not had a street shooting the entire time I was chief—and then we had an actual drive-by shooting near a gas station where a drug transaction was taking place in two o'clock in the afternoon in this beautiful suburb west of Chicago, and that changed a lot of um, minds. In fact, we were allowed to join Wedge, and I mean allowed because my village had to approve that. I had to do the sales job, but we also purchased street cameras as a result of that, things I never thought that we would see, and it took that shooting for that decision to be made by the elected officials.
0: And unfortunately, that's quite often what is the impetus for a lot of these these. I don't want to say the agencies, the street cops, they want to do this thing. They want it. Uh, the administrators, oftentimes, they want it. But the politicians, the city hall, for lack of better words, they don't. And he, here's part of the reason why. And, and I, I say this all the time. I didn't talk to my, my now ex-wife about what happened at work. Because I didn't want her to know. I didn't want her to be more worried. But what I really didn't want people to know, Tom, was that, we're all taught to be fearful of the bookie man uh, or the stranger in the van, all that stuff. Sometimes it's your neighbor doing really horrific things, and we don't want people to lose sleep over the horrors that happen in their own neighborhoods.
1: Yes, without a doubt. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, in my community joining the gang and drug task force and then being in charge of it, they were afraid it would bring negative, publicity to the village I had to see you know like somehow that the fact that we're joining this aggressive and it was aggressive proactive task force and not only that but the local chief from the suburb is going to lead it they are like oh you know what's going to happen to property values chief uh what you know they, they automatically just wanted to circle um you, you know uh, uh, uh this rhetoric that it's going to affect the community in a negative manner when I thought it would affect it in a positive manner and in the end i ended up being right and i think our elected officials would agree with that it's still in existence today so that task force that was started 15 years ago is still currently active
0: when you're talking about that going in front of city hall and city hall is a term i use for any government will it be a village a township county government whatever it might be state government as well and sometimes federal government as well but when you say that, Tom, I, I think of the the old statue, the old cartoon about the the, the monkeys see no evil, hear no evil, and speak no evil. Uh, that if we don't talk about this, if we don't have Chief White so getting involved in his gang gang task force, then it doesn't exist.
1: Yeah, and you know, I, I made a speech when I made my impassioned speech to not only join this task force, but to, at its inception, because we were one of the original members, Riverside, but to lead it, um, I had tremendous pushback just from people saying that these crimes aren't happening, our own elected officials, and just saying that we have never seen this. Uh, um, I had one elected official say, are you going to allow our officers to be supervised by another agency? And I said, absolutely. When we join this task force, we're going to pick a task force commander. And whether that's from the city of Berwyn next to us or the city of Oak Park near us, we're going to work together as a unit. And I remember them questioning, like, do you really want our officers being supervised by other agencies, and I told them in the right circumstance, that's the way it works.
0: I wouldn't have a problem with that. When I was detailed to DEA as a police officer, uh, I had a supervisor who was an an agent, and they had a supervisor. And then there were sergeants from the Maryland State Police and Task Force, and they outranked me in their agency, but they also outranked me in the task force. And so there's no really set rules. But it wasn't like, uh, by the way, I said, do this or you'll be walking foot somewhere. That that didn't happen in that task force. I'm sure it didn't happen with the gang task force either.
1: No, it didn't. You're correct.
0: And the main reason why, Tom, I, I, I want to ask is because they want to get results, and that kind of stuff doesn't breed success, does it?
1: It doesn't. And if you can't play in the playpen with with other agencies, and you can't take directions from, you know, we only put commanders in charge that were qualified. And I mean that. And they weren't, I mean, one time, one of the Riverside detectives was uh, involved, and he was a commander. Years later, was a different commander. But there was a real distinction. You know, me as a chief, I personally kept the detectives basically out of those task forces and tried to put the street cop in there that knew what was going on and was better because there's a big difference between tactical gang and drug activity and detective work they're not the same
0: no they're not the same and tv loves to blur that and they love look i love my homicide Investigators, the detectives that did a long time. They worked really hard. They put in lots of hours, but they usually weren't there when when it really got dangerous. They did the investigations. That's what they were good at. Uh, they they were really proficient. They weren't proficient at knocking down doors and, and dealing with armed people, all that stuff. That was not in their skill set. Uh, and I'm not saying it's a negative. That's just the reality. You said a couple times, and I get it, uh, uh, that the criminals viewed... Your agency and some of the suburbs, as oh, it's easier. They're uneducated. They don't have the tools. Let's go commit crimes there. As if somehow they're not real police. And I hate to admit it, there was a time in a city I felt the same way that the, the county officers had it easy. And I didn't realize that they didn't have the detectives to rely on. They didn't have sometimes crime scene investigators to come out. They didn't have, and their backup was a really long ways away. But they did the same thing we did, maybe not quite as often, but they did it all the time. And they paid the price, both physically and mentally. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're talking with Tom Weitzel, retired chief of police from Riverside, Illinois, Chicago suburbs. Best way to find him is on Twitter, at Chief... Weitzel, that's W-E-I-T-Z-E-L. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back.
1: Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to show.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one, also available on our free app, all at com.
0: If you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me. And follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. This is Law Today Show. I'm John J. Wiley, joined by special guest Tom White. So I say special because, and I'm not going to throw out an insult, he's been on the show twice before. He's a retired chief of police from Riverside, Illinois, which sounds like a sleepy area. It's a township in the suburbs of Chicago, Illinois. And he spent his entire career there, and he's best find him on Twitter. Look for at Chief Weitzel, W-E-I-T-Z-E-L. And by the way, you can find past episodes of Tom on the Law Enforcement Today podcast. Uh, Just do a search for Law Enforcement Today podcast. It's free, and you're sure to find him and other ones you like as well. So as a chief, and we we already talked very quickly about changing roles as you go from street cop to supervisor to uh, mid-level management to the command staff, and then being a chief, and you oversaw the gang unit, the gang task force for a while what are some of the things that the gang task force at least in your experience did
1: well we we got together with other municipalities meaning suburban with then with the city of chicago and then cook county and then we also partnered with three federal agencies and we needed to do that there was no question administratively we had to sell it to our communities we had to sell it to our elected officials, and then we had to select the right officers. But each agency selected who they wanted to go into the unit, and then they weren't accepted in that unit until the commander interviewed them and accepted them. So, as chiefs, we didn't want to push our weight around and be administratively and say, take this guy, but we're just trying to get rid of this guy because he's the worst patrolman we have, and we'll get rid of him for two or three years in the task force. So, the commanders had to also accept who was in the unit. And that's
0: a great way of protecting the unit, integrity unit, because the other thing is, what about the Golden Boys? We're going to reward you with this this prime position. Uh, and the chief could appoint them. But the commander didn't, didn't if he didn't pass muster, he or she, they weren't happening, were they?
1: They weren't. In fact, the commanders had the right, even after a year or two, if the this individual wasn't working out, they had the right to remove him. Even, you know, superseding the chief, they would just call us and say, this officer you selected is not working out. Okay, you know, we didn't argue. That's fine. We'll pull him out and we'll put someone else in. But absolutely, that was the within the authority of the task force commanders
0: and a lot of these questions i know the answers to but a lot of people listening do not what's the chief advantage to having a task force made up of multiple agencies when you deal with
1: mobile organized crime yeah we can go from agency to agency um and we one of the best parts of that whole task force was that everybody got to know each other and they could pick, get on their phone and call somebody at two o'clock in the morning even when the crime happened in riverside and we're like hey you know this guy this he had a tattoo on his neck of this this and this do you know this? and these detectives and these um gang and task force members could talk to one another and they had instant contact and i can tell you that we solved a lot of crimes that had nothing to do with the gang and drug task force but had to do with the contacts that they had in that unit that led them to make other arrests
0: and my hat's off to you it it really is it's it's a way of spreading information, more people getting that information, contributing, and then more shared resources. One of the things I have to, to comment on is these gangs, they're not respecters of, of anybody. And there have been plenty of police officers on duty and off duty who've been shot and killed or stabbed, run over by, by known gang members just because they're wearing a uniform.
1: Yeah, you're... You're straight on. And, you know, I could tell you, too, that that is exactly they don't even I was an active chief where I would go out sometimes on with the jug and grand gang, gang task, especially if they're operating in Riverside or a case that it started in Riverside. And they would you would not believe how many times we'd arrest a gang member. And he was like, where are we? like you're in Riverside or you're in Brookfield, the town next to us, you're like, is that, and they would say this, is that in Cook County? Like they had no concept of the borders. There's no, they, they didn't know where they were. They just know they weren't in the city anymore and they came out. So they, they could care less that you're policing a community with $2 million homes or you're policing a community that is, isn't like that. They had, they don't, they didn't even take that into consideration.
0: One of the things that Hollywood loves to, to put out there, and I, I have to laugh all the time on my wife, the boss, makes me watch these shows. Let's just say you have a, a homicide, and then you'll have... County police on one side and then city police on the other side arguing who, who's who got it, that, oh, no, it's mine. No, no, it's mine. And we were the exact opposite, like, no, no, I think it's yours. And they go, no, no, it's yours, because they didn't want it. Uh, and that's part of the jurisdictional battles. But when you have task force, that kind of evaporates, doesn't it?
1: It certainly does. Certainly, law enforcement agencies can be known to to try to push something another way because it's less paperwork for you and it's less of a, yeah. less that you have to do, right? But and it's transport.
0: also less of the, the Part 1 felony crimes that no one wants. Uh, they, they don't right. want to go in front of their mayor or their city council and say, oh, we had a 13% increase in murders.
1: What? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It doesn't happen in a task force. In fact, in our task force, we would deputize the officers so they had complete legal jurisdiction in every um, jurisdiction they worked at. Plus, when when the federal task forces joined us, the U.S. Marshals, they made our task force members they swore him in as temporary U.S. Marshals while they were into detail.
0: And that's what happened to me. I got sworn in as a deputy U.S. Marshal the was detailed at DEA uh, and worked all over state, worked in Washington, D.C., went to Miami, you name it. Tom, I, I find this whole conversation fascinating, but I want to transition because you're doing some some really outstanding work for a, an organization that's near and dear to my heart. Please tell us about that.
1: Yeah, I was just uh, named an ambassador for the state of Illinois for the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund. And for your listeners that don't know about that, they had this ambassador program where they try to get police officials, either current or retired, in every state, to deliver the message and to help with the National Law Enforcement Officer Memorial Fund in. Washington, D.C. In Illinois, there's two ambassadors, but there's only 40 ambassadors in the entire United States. So several states don't even have that. And what our role is, is to assist at the memorial wall during police week. It's to assist at the museum as like a docent. It's to do officer wellness and safety training. We go out and actually do that at different police organizations. And then probably one of the saddest but for me, probably one of the most satisfying is we assist families with line of duty deaths when the departments request it. It's very difficult, but we, our, part of our role is to make sure that families who have um, lost someone being killed in the line of duty know the benefits that they're entitled to, know how to get their loved one on the memorial wall in Washington, because there's a process. One of the saddest things I heard, John, when I joined and then was appointed an ambassador is that every year there's families that call the National Law Officers Memorial Fund and say, I'm coming down for police week in May. Could you please tell me where my son or daughter's or husband or wife's name is on the wall? And they look it up and they're like, yeah, you didn't submit the paperwork or your department didn't submit the paperwork. His or her name isn't on the wall. One of our job is to make sure that doesn't happen.
0: And that that's... Uh, look... <laughs> There's no way of gussing that up so it sounds good, but it needs to be done. And, and by the way, if you've if you got a trip to D.C. playing it anytime and you've not been to National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Wall, is what they call it, go check it out. It's a moving experience. It was profoundly moving for me. The museum as well. And, and the, the wellness stuff that you all do is phenomenal in, in very short order. Can you explain what that is?
1: Well, they they have videos that they they produce, the the memorial. They have speakers that go out to all states. Uh, They do roll call training on officer safety, um, everything from wearing seatbelts in your squad cars to the operations of the seatbelt. We're even starting to touch on officer suicides and how we can assist with that. And we provide speakers for chief organizations for me might, you know, go to roll call. I mean, I'll be going to roll calls at midnight. So to give a 15 minute presentation just so we can make sure that we're getting the officers the information and knowing what's available to them through our organization. And we also do a little bit of fundraising. I'm not in the fundraising section, but certainly the memorial does fundraising so we can keep the wall and museum going forever.
0: And do you know the website for the National Law Enforcement Officer Memorial Fund?
1: Yeah, it's, it's the it's, it's it's the National Law Enforcement Officer Memorial Fund dot org, but it's it's the initials.
0: Yeah, I always help people just do a Google search for National yeah. Law Enforcement Officer Memorial and it, yeah. it'll pop right up. Because I'll be honest with you, Tom, I can't remember the URL. I want to thank you for, again, your service and really thank you for being guest on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Both very much appreciated.
1: Oh, dude, thank you so much for having me. I'd like to thank
0: our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple of days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.